Uh, the fruit of the Spirit, we're going to continue with that. We took a little break a little bit with a couple missionaries uh, visiting with us, although um, the Dunbars as well, too. And the Dunbars continued the Spirit, uh, fruit of the Spirit series. But uh, again, I, I believe this is an appropriate and timely opportunity to have this series for the summer, uh, especially with how everything around us seems just a bit out of control. Sometimes it's a little chaotic and sometimes out of control. It's almost like beyond our grasp because it's like it's really going to get worse. And, and, we're, and so what do you do? How do you deal with those things? And I think the fruit of the Spirit is, is a, a great thing to be reminded of and how we need to be developing those things and allowing the Holy Spirit develop those virtues of, of love and peace and patience and goodness and kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control as well. But we need it. Our, our nation needs it. <laughs> but it begins with us, right? And so far, though, we've looked at love. Uh, and we, we discovered how to live a life of love by drawing from God, the source of love. And then, of course, uh, well, the choice to love. <laughs> that we need to choose to love others. And, of course, uh, like I mentioned, as far as joy, the Dunbars shared about that. They shared how the joy they found in serving others in the ministry that they have in Mexico. And then uh, last time we looked at uh, Fruit of the Spirit, it was peace. And we, uh, we discovered how it was produced by the constant calming presence of God and how we need to have that relationship with God in our lives. And when that is missing, of course, we're going to be missing the peace in our life. When I was growing up... Um, uh, in Milwaukee, right over here, third grade uh, through about fifth grade or sixth grade, we had a we had a dog by the name of Chichi. <laughs> we didn't name the dog. I didn't name the dog. The dog came f- from the pound for us, and and so uh, it was a uh, not really a sheep dog, but kind of like that, uh, but more of a mutt. So it was kind of medium type of dog. But she was really good. She was very obedient. She did a lot of different things as far as uh, uh, tricks and stuff like that. And I remember one thing. And she didn't. Maybe you've taught your dog as well, too. I don't know if Django does this or not, but um, you can place a little treat on, on her nose. And then you say, whoa, hey, wait, wait, stay, stay, stay. And then you back off, stay. And they say, okay. And they'll flip it up or just like, ah, and grab it. And she did that quite a bit. Sometimes I'd, I'd say, stay, stay, and I'd leave the room. <laughs> Come back. She's still there <laughs> looking at the treat. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Anyway. Very, very patient dog. Very patient. So uh, this, uh, this, this patience is what we're looking at for this Sunday. Uh, we, we did look at the first three virtues, love, joy, and peace. And th- those virtues are more the habits of the mind and are sourced in God. And, uh, and, and then we look at these next three, patience, kindness, and goodness, in the following weeks here, uh, which those are... Those are virtues that we reach out to others. And it's strengthened, actually, by those first three, love, joy, and peace. If we don't have that foundation of love, joy, and peace, then we're going to be in trouble trying to figure out how to be patient, how to be kind, and and how to be good. (laughs) All those things. We don't have the love, joy, and peace already established. But patience. Patience is not much of a virtue in our society, Especially, I guess, these days when we've been all cooped up and quarantined and everything else, impatience seems to be the norm. 
But you think about our society, though, with patience. We have fast food. <laughs> we have microwaves that fix our food and heat it up real quick. We've got drive throughs that take care of us if we need that food. Pizza li- delivery in 20 minutes or less. All these things are fast. We don't have to be patient. It just it comes to us as fast as, as we eh, want sometimes. Um, and if you think about it, though, almost all of our pet peeves revolve around impatience of some kind or another. You think about it. Long lines anywhere. You get a little impatient. Waiting at the doctor's office. <laughs> I remember times when I've I took my mom to her doctor visits, and she, it was, you know, after her stroke, of course. And her stroke affected her ability to really be patient. And uh, so we go to those doctor's offices, and we're sitting there. She's in a wheelchair, and I just, I'm, I'm looking through the magazine. And it's a normal kind of wait, and I'm magazine, and I kind of glance over at my mom, and she's like, I'm like oh, no, <laughs> we're going to blow here. <laughs> and so she would have moments where she would just, and, and just get all uptight and upset because they weren't coming to her as quickly as she wanted. But stuff like that, slow service at McDonald's <laughs> drive throughs uh, Brianna has some funny stories about that, and also uh, Maddie's uh, boyfriend, Ivan, who's a manager over at McDonald's, has some pretty interesting stories about drive through situations where people are impatient there. But Grubhub, DoorDash, if they don't bring our meal in a timely fashion, then we get a bit upset. Where is that meal? We're looking for it. Long sermons, hmm, sorry, sometimes you might be impatient about that. <laughs> or even slow drivers in the fast lane, those things, just all, which reminds me of a, a story I heard recently. This woman had a car uh, that stalled on the, in heavy traffic, and uh, as it happened, uh, the cars began to back up. She tried to start it again and again and again, and, and a chorus of honking horns blared behind her, she got out to look under the hood as, as the honking continued. Finally, she just she walked back to the first driver behind her, and she said, I'm sorry, but I can't seem to get my, my car started. So if you'll go up there and give it a try, I'll stay here and honk your horn for you. <laughs> impatience, impatience. We might think impatience is a cute little quirk in our character. It's like, oh, yeah, that's, that's cute. You know, it's so impatient sometimes. But I trust that today we're going to find that it's more dangerous than that. Hiding just under the surface of our impatience is anger, is, is selfishness, uh, a spirit of entitlement, and something pretty dysfunctional about our relationship with God. So today, I want to look at the vertical relationship that patience affects between us and God. By first laying the foundation of how important this character trait is, by underlying the cost of impatience, the cost of impatience. And to do that, we're going to look at uh, the story of King Saul, a particular moment in his his, uh, kingly reign. And then I want to show the benefits of patience and how we might get more of it with God's help. Again, all within the vertical relationship we have with God. And to do that, I want us to hear the well-known story of a Bible character named Job. And then, uh, to, to finish things up, I want, to, I want to move then from the vertical relationship with God to the horizontal relationship we have with one another. 
regarding patience and how we affect one another with our patience or lack of. So let's look at this vertical relationship of patience between us and God and the cost of that impatience that we can see here in the life of Saul. Now, I'm taking this portion of Scripture. I'm going to just kind of summarize things here. I'm not going to read it all because 1 Samuel chapter 9 through chapter 13, and that's the section that we're looking at, but I want to just kind of summarize those things and not spend time reading it all. But King Saul, as you probably already know, was the very first king of the nation of Israel. And after the period of the judges, the nation demanded a king, even though it was God's plan to have only himself as their king. The people persisted, and God decided to grant their request. So, okay, you want a king? <laughs> you got one. The prophet Samuel anointed Saul as the first king of Israel, and Saul was a tall man, as, as you probably remember, a tall man, very impressive looking, very kingly. And he led the country to its first military victory in years over one of its oppressive neighbors. Everyone's happy, but there's a problem in Saul's inner life that's going to grow and, and basically spell disaster for him and the people around him. Now, another oppressive neighbor uh, is taking advantage of the kingless Israelites were the Philistines. And you know full well about those Philistines, the history they have with the Israelites. But now, with a king, the Jews have a, a new sense of boldness and a desire to throw off the oppressors and, and be free people under God. So, they start some border conflicts with the Philistines. They start doing little battles here and there. And word gets to the Philistines that the Israelites are in full revolt and they aren't going to roll over for the Philistines anymore. So, they decide that they're going to teach those nobodies a, a lesson they'll never forget. Philistines are going to come after them and pretty much squash them. The Philistines gathered a huge army against Saul's brand new regime. And as a result, the Israelites become fearful and a large part of uh, Saul's army loses its nerve, and they go into hiding in, 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 hiding in caves and holes and rocks and tombs all over the place. And despite the worsening situation, Samuel instructs Saul to look to God for protection and victory and not trust in his own power. So that as an expression of that trust, Samuel tells Saul, wait for him uh, for seven days. Seven days, and then he would come and offer the sacrifice and officially invoke God's blessing on them, and victory would be assured. But he'd have to wait. Saul would have to wait. With the Philistine army breathing down his neck, with deserters fleeing left and right, and the, and the remaining army shaking in their boots, here's Saul having to wait seven days. Every day that passes, every hour another deserter. And the chances of victory are growing slimmer and slimmer. Saul waited impatiently for seven days. Finally, he took control and said, that's it, Samuel's not coming. Bring me the burnt offerings. Let's get on with it already. We need a priest. Bring him on in here. here I'll play Samuel. Let's offer up the, the sacrifices. Let's sing a few songs. Uh, let's close in prayer, and then we can go already. Let's go into battle. We need to get going. I'm losing men by the second. So do you see a problem here? <laughs> Maybe. A little impatience going on here? But the most important thing is what the impatience is pointing to in Saul's heart. 
That's, that's made clear here in the next part of the story. So just as Saul was finishing the burnt offerings, Samuel shows up. He smells cooked lamb, and he's, he's a little suspicious. Saul comes trotting out to meet Samuel and to be blessed by him, and Samuel says, what are you doing? <laughs> What's going on here? And you can just imagine this look on Saul's face. <laughs> he's thinking, oh, I've been caught. Okay, what am I going to say right now? And so Saul stammers out this, this excuse. He said, well, when I saw I was, I was losing my army from under me and that you hadn't come when you said you would, he did come on the seventh day. And with the Philistines poised to come down on me here and I haven't, haven't yet come before God asking for his help, well, I just took matters into my own hands, I guess. Many things, many things are revealed in these excuses that relate to our own justifications for impatience. First, we justify impatience for the sake of prudence. We justify impatience for the sake of prudence. I was losing my army, and so I just did what any sane person would do. When you think about our our own impatience, how many times is it justified under the phrase, it was the reasonable thing to do? God's timing isn't very reasonable. (laughs) It's going to be unreasonable. So, because God's timing isn't very reasonable, then I choose to use that credit card because I have all these needs that just have to be purchased. Because God's timing isn't very reasonable, I quit my job and handicap my family's finances because it's not reasonable to endure that boss for any length of time. Or I, I rush into marriage with this person I don't know really well because I'm lonely and, and waiting isn't reasonable. We justify impatience for the sake of prudence. Then there's a second set of excuses for impatience that sound even better than prudence. It's piety. Piety. Saul says, I can't go to war because you know, before I've, I've said my prayers... That would be be wrong. I need to to pray. And so in order for me to pray, I need to do these things so then I can go to war. I'm prayed up, then I can go. Just like that, some of our impatience is excused on spiritual grounds. We pull the God card on people, don't we? (laughs) I know God wants to bless me for this or that, so I'm just going to go out and get it because I know that's what God would want. I need guidance from God in this area, and so I'm just going to lean on my horoscope or consult some kind of mystic and, uh, because I need an answer right now, and I know that's what God would want. I have a vision from God to do great things. He's told me, he showed me these things, and God's not showing up when I expected him to, so I'm going to just push it along myself a little bit, play amateur Holy Spirit, and manipulate people and circumstances to achieve great things for God. We'll excuse impatience in the name of prudence, in the name of piety, and we say, it's no big deal. No big deal. I'm impatient for all these good reasons. I want a good thing done. I want direction. I want healing. I want protection. But underneath 
The motive reveals something out of whack. Just look at Saul. As he is sputtering out his excuses, the real reason comes out of him. He said to Samuel, I took matters into my own hands. I felt compelled to do it. I just had to. I needed to take control of the situation. How many times have you found yourself waiting upon God and thinking, ah, he should have showed up by now. (laughs) And tempted to go, okay, you know what? I think I can do some of these things. I think I can move this forward, helping God a little bit. I think this will work. Taking matters into your own hands, feeling compelled to do it, needing to take control of the situation. If we could identify what's behind our own impatience, there it is. We must take matters into our own hands. Now, whose matters was Saul taking into his own hands? Who has he wrenched control away from? God. The God who loves him the God who seeks his best, the God who is powerful to care for him and nurture him and parent him. By the way, that's the same God we serve today. That care and protection is not good enough for Saul and it's not good enough for some of us at times. We can't relax in God's control. We must take control for ourselves. We get impatient. And in taking control, we violate our relationship with God. And we reap hard consequences. Think about what we do because of impatience. We go looking for guidance in spiritualists and mediums because we can't wait for a real God to to give answers. We work ourselves through the weekend because for for self-image or security, we can't trust God and, and wait until Monday. We're impatient with the weaknesses of our parents or bosses, so we rebel against their authority because God's not reining them in. We lash out in hate or resentment against our neighbor because we're too impatient to leave it to God to avenge. We lust and misuse our sexuality because we're too impatient to have our physical desires satisfied in the proper context of marriage. We take from our our company or or sink ourselves with with debt that we don't pay back because the culture tells us we should have all this stuff and we can't wait until we can legitimately earn these things. We have to have them now. We play with the truth because we can't slowly develop authentic, real relationships. So we put up a a facade and a lie. We envy someone else's job or spouse or house or car and bitterness rises in us because God is not taking care of our needs fast enough. All of that from lack of patience. Now, if you didn't didn't catch that that list that I just gave you right now, there are all the ways that we break almost every single one of the Ten Commandments in the Bible because of impatience. The Ten Commandments, the ones that we look at, the ones that we read, the ones that we know fairly well, the ones we sing in VBS, (laughs) have the kids sing. Those Ten Commandments are in danger because of our impatience. So what is behind all this impatience and law-breaking and sin? Behind it all is a problem with God. It was the same thing at work in Saul's life. He didn't trust God. 
At the root is a deep and tragic disconnect with God. He's not acting fast enough. He's not meeting my needs. He didn't stop that bad thing from happening in my life. He's not rescuing me fast enough from this trouble I'm in. And just like Saul, we take matters into our own hands. Samuel looks at him and says, Saul, that was a foolish thing to do. This experience has uncovered a heart that is hard toward God, untrusting, without faith, a heart that refused to cling to God's love even when it got hard. As a result of you not waiting on God and trying to become your own God, your kingly rule is already falling to pieces. Your dynasty must must end and the Lord will choose a new king who will be a man after his own heart. Saul lost his kingdom for a lack of two or three hours of patience. If that seems kind of harsh, just remember the importance of waiting on God. Because it's an expression of our total dependence and trust in Him. If we can't wait on God, then we don't trust Him. If we can't wait on God, then then, we want control of the situation. Behind our prudence and our piety, impatience says, I don't trust you, God. Now, if this is true, then when we come across a patient person, they should be a person with great trust in God. And I'd like us to observe such a person by the name of Job. We'll see here the benefit of patience. Now, Job is famous enough, Bible character, that most of us have heard the expression, he has the patience of Job. Let me explain why that is. God has given Job a lot of great stuff. As we read in Job, first chapter all the way through, gives us a lot of, he gives, God gave him a lot of great stuff. Job was a man who was trained by a close relationship with God to trust God's love and God's limit as well. Job had, had, had learned that godly, moral, hardworking, and wise people reap many rewards from God. So there's a, there's a cause and effect relationship with living a life like that. So the opening chapters, we find this out about Job. He was honest inside and out, a man of his word. He was totally devoted to God, and he hated evil with a passion. God blessed him. He had many children, a lot of property, livestock, a huge staff, and a lot of influence. So Job is loaded with blessings. So far, everything makes sense. Everything is properly ordered, morally speaking. And then, chaos and devastation. In a single day, Job's life is devastated. His children are killed in a freak of nature. His properties are all stolen or destroyed. And all his servants are murdered as well. Now, there are two situations where we are most prone to be impatient. One is when we're not experiencing a good thing and we really want it to start. Our family vacation. I can't wait for that to start. The other is when we are experiencing a bad thing that we really, really want it to end. Okay, God, I've learned my lesson. Let's move on. Let's get out of this, right? I guess impatience is most difficult in the latter situation. And that's what Job endured. 
The hardest thing was that the bad was undeserved. Here was a godly man and followed God, and all, this, and all of a sudden all this stuff has come upon him. He couldn't look at his life and say, oh, you know, I abused my body, and that's why I'm sick. Or, oh, I really raised those children poorly, and that's why they died. Or, oh, I, dis- I disobeyed God's commands about honesty or hard work or sexual faithfulness, and that's why this has happened. But Job no, is all about, the story of Job is all about the mystery of suffering that cannot be explained by moral cause and effect. You look at that, and if you look at it and, and you, don't, you, you don't pay attention to the part where God and, and, and Satan's talking over here, you just in the life of Job, in his perspective, you look at it, it's a mystery about all this. If you put yourself in his sandals, you can't figure it out. I follow God, I do all these things, and, and, and I'm, I'm faithful, and, and I love God, and then this happens. What's going on? And that's the most trying of places to be. And probably one of the best places to study patience. And here's how Job responds to unjust suffering. And notice the differences in heart between Job and Saul. Job says, I I came from my mother's womb with nothing, and I'll return to the womb of the earth with nothing. God wants to do these things, you know, he can do but his, his wife, his wife, was more of a Saul-type character. And Job's response just made her more bitter and more angry, especially with God. She saw him and saw Job in pain with God, so she tells him, look, you can at least get rid of one problem by just getting rid of God. You won't lessen your physical suffering, but at least your spiritual anguish can go away if you just reject God, then just hope for a speedy death. But Job still clings to his trust in God, and he tells her, we take the good days from God. Why not the bad days also? So we see someone tenaciously hanging on to his faith in God, patiently waiting on God for an answer, for hope, or deliverance, or some sign of his care. And before you get uh, maybe the idea that a person who patiently hangs on to trust in God in hard times is just kind of putting on a show, remember that Job was brutally honest with God. Brutally honest about his suffering. He asks, why? (laughs) Why me? He rejected his friend's scripted answers and those simple fixes that they had. He didn't take his suffering quietly or reverently. He came before God and he gave him a word or two about how he was feeling. But notice, he put his questions to God. <laughs> to God. He didn't, he didn't paste on a smile. He didn't reject God either. Job took his stance before God and there he just poured out his complaint. How he was feeling. What was going on in his heart. This is where I'm at, God. What's going on? When we're in, bad, uh, in a bad situation that we want to end, or when we're hoping for a good situation to start, we will be tempted to take matters into our own hands, like Saul did. Or we can wait on God, like Job did. And waiting on God is not just a passive thing. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19, it says, So then those who suffer according to God's will 
should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. So you see, waiting, waiting on God involves two things, according to this portion of Scripture. Daily committing ourselves to God, committing our situation into His hands. And if you need to, cry out to God. Let Him know that you're perplexed, that you're impatient, that, that you're, you're needy, that you're confused. Let Him know how you're feeling about the situation. And then reaffirm your trust. I feel like this, God. I still trust you. I feel like this, though. Job did this very thing. He said, though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. So daily committing ourselves to God. And then 1 Peter 4, uh, verse 19 also tells us, waiting on God also means continuing to do good. Continuing to do good. We commonly associate patience really with basically doing nothing. I'm going to be patient. I'm just going to stand right here and wait. And we do nothing. We do nothing. Yet there is a patience that can carry on. It's one thing to relax and not run ahead of God by taking matters into your own hands. That's one aspect. But it is a total different thing, a total harder thing sometimes to carry on under stress. To carry on, to endure, to have a great weight on your heart and still run. To have a deep anguish in your spirit and still perform the daily tasks. Have you been there before? Have that weight upon you? You just don't want to do anything. You don't want to get up in the morning. You don't want to eat. You don't want to do anything. You just want to be. But that's where we need to step up and continuing to do good. Continuing on, even though we're weighted down. To wait is hard. To wait while we continue to do good <laughs> is an even bolder statement of trust. That we trust God totally. One last thing I want to mention here in addition to the patience between us and God is also our patience with one another. And that's moving from the vertical relationship to the horizontal relationship. And I want to speak to this in a little bit as well too. Paul writes to Timothy instructing him in the ministry, and then Paul inserts these thoughts in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. Paul says, Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now, here's your little Greek lesson for the day, maybe for the week, maybe for the year. <laughs> the Greek word translated as patience is macrothumia. Macrothumia. Macro means long, and thumos means anger. So macrothumia literally means long to get angry. Patience. Someone who is patient has a long fuse. <laughs> it takes a lot for them to get upset. Unfortunately, some of us struggle with a short fuse at times. But we become impatient so easily because we think that if something doesn't get done now, it's going to mess everything up. But, we, but really, has being patient ever gotten you into trouble? <laughs> think about it. We usually find trouble when we are impatient, when we, ref we refuse to be patient. 
When we're angry, we're not in the frame of mind to, to make good decisions. A verse from Proverbs states, A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. It's Proverbs 29, verse 11. So should someone cut you off in the road, out on 205, and someone just cuts you off, in your anger, you might want to speed up, tailgate that person, and show them a thing or two. Let them know your feelings. But, of course, that's not safe for you or the drivers around you as well. Or when someone says something to get your blood boiling, oh, they pushed my button again, you want to rip right back into them. But those words will only damage the relationship even further. Instead, we need to recognize the situations that make us mad. Determined to let those things go and give it to God. Right at that moment, instantly. As you feel that red flag come up, the boiling in your blood, give it to God right away. The Apostle Paul, in these verses, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, he confessed that he was the worst of sinners. He was thinking about how he had once persecuted Christians, and you read that in Acts, and traveling all over to track them down and haul them off to prison. And as the worst of sinners, Paul represents the extreme example. If God was patient and gracious enough to save Paul, he is patient and gracious to save anyone. God was patient with him. God is patient with us. And since God is patient with us, we should also be patient with others around us as well. I've heard patience described as a joyful mercy. I think that's a good thing. A joyful mercy. Patience sees the other side of things. Patience at the grocery store sees the clerk as, as she is, a mother who is trying to fit in a few hours of work in between caring for her children and aging parents. Patience will cut her slack then when she has to call the manager because she doesn't know the correct code for that exotic fruit you're buying. Patience sees that unruly kid at school as someone who is probably dealing with stress at home. And so what he needs is kindness, not dirty looks and people talking about him behind his back. Patience looks at the bigger picture so that when you're delayed on the highway, caught in traffic on I-205 or wherever it is, you realize that at most you're going to get home 10 minutes later than you planned. Why not use that time to look around and pray for the people in the vehicles behind you and in front of you? We can afford to be, to be patient. Excuse me like this, because we are not the masters of our lives. God is the master of our lives. So if it's important that we zip through the checkout line or, or never suffer a flight delay or never get caught in traffic, then God will be sure to make that happen. It will be up to Him, not you. <laughs> Many of us are convinced that God wants uh, the best for us. Uh, bless us with many blessings, and that's true. And there's a feeling, though, of entitlement that comes with that. We feel that we deserve these things. And that's when we get impatient, reach out and try to get them on our own. The result, as some of you know, is misery. Wanting and wanting and never being satisfied. The Bible says that God does want to bless you. But that relationship can't flourish until the roadblocks are taken out of the way. So that's why the Bible says that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die as our substitute. 
to pay the debts we, we've gained by our impatience. <laughs> All the, the, the commandments that get broken when we take matters into our own hands. But remember, to receive the gift, the Bible says you must trust him only and completely. Jesus will not settle for you turning family or friends or, or health or work or, or fun or pleasure into an idol while you demote him to the back seat because he knows that only he can satisfy your soul. That's why sometimes he'll put us into a waiting period while we're waiting for some blessing, you know, the family or friends or health or work or success or fun or pleasure, while we're waiting on some blessing, we're getting totally focused for Jesus. And why is that? So that you learn to seek him, to cry out for him, to beat your fists against his chest and say, God, you're my only hope. I'm waiting on you. You're all I have. I trust in you alone. In that moment, you have gained something of incredible worth, more than family or friends or health or work or success or pleasure. You will be learning all about the patience, all about waiting, and you'll be leaning on Jesus Christ alone in radical trust and faith. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have the worship team come on up. Chris and Becky are going to come up and lead us in the last few songs and come on up here. And while they do, I don't know, I don't know what what you may be impatiently looking for today. You probably have something in your mind that you've been impatient about, or you've been trying to be patient, and you're almost reaching your limit. But I will tell you this, whatever that is, whatever that is, it pales in comparison to a right relationship with God. <laughs> it pales in comparison. Some of you are just investigating all of this and can't imagine how a relationship with God could be worth all of the waiting and trusting and leaning and faith. But I'm here to tell you that it is worth it, a relationship with Christ. Others of you are close to letting go, to really actually letting go and surrendering, to give up all other crowns if you can't just, just be able to know peace of mind. That's what, you just want peace of mind. And that's what Jesus offers us today. Nestled in his arms, in his forgiving love, you can, you can learn patience for others, that, that, that horizontal relationship of patience. You can learn to wait on God, that vertical relationship of patience. And you'll wait for him. And you'll accept no other substitutes. Waiting upon him, it is worth that relationship you have. The worship team is going to lead us in a couple of songs to close out our time here together. And if you need to come and pray, the altar is open. If there's something in your life you're thinking, yeah, I've been impatient about some things. You need to give it over to God. You can come and pray. You can do that. Those of you who are online, you just create that altar right where you're at and be able to spend some time in prayer with him. Whatever the case is, though, I trust that you'll act in obedience to the Holy Spirit's promptings. If if God has been prompting you in some way, you, you need to take care of that. You need to give that to me. I trust that you will just act in obedience to whatever God has for you today in the area of patience.